ho, ho, ho. Happy holidays and welcome to When We Were Young, the podcast where we take a look back at the pop culture of the 80s and 90s and sometimes the 60s if it's been playing continuously on TV ever since. (laughs) That was a really jolly ho, ho, ho there, Chris. (laughs) Thank you. I practiced it many times before we actually got one that was recordable. (laughs) Some of them were supersonic frequencies. Yes. I'm Chris, your podcast host, most likely to be denied access to any and all reindeer games. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Seth Pearson, your host most likely to raise a cloud of dust in a snowstorm. And I'm Becky, I'm the podcast host, most likely to come without ribbons, come without tags, come without packages, boxes, or bags. You frequently come with bags. Honestly, I was going to say, I wasn't going to be the only one to bring it up, but I feel like you usually bring bags. That's me. (laughs) We call her Bags Becky. So I think we should open this episode by uh, opening some gifts. Ooh. Uh, Inside this shiny bauble is a new review from iTunes. Hey. Just the thing I had on my wish list. It is a nice brief one, so I'm going to have Becky read it for us. Ooh. I was young for most of this. (laughs) From Millennial milf (laughs) (laughs) millennial milf says love this podcast that's it (laughs) thanks she gets to the point that milf millennial milf millennial milf so she's like a 20 something mom that you'd like to fuck you're you're a cool mom that listens to cool podcasts but also i feel like she has an opportunity she could combine that name to milfennial and save at least a couple characters she's obviously going for precision and and being very concise yes yeah. she's brevity is the soul of it's wit. possible that That's was true. taken though on itunes already there might be another millennial. <laughs> That is very true. I can't But none that, that gave us such a glowing review. So thank no, you. No, that's true. We thank do, you, We do get a real kick out of our users' uh, screen names on iTunes. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's an unofficial contest that's been going on mm-hmm. for the most absurd. I thought Sousaphone Colossus would have been <laughs> the high watermark, but I don't know. I don't know. How many stars did Millennial Milf give us? Oh, let's see. One, two, three, four... Five. Five stars. You couldn't see, audience, but Chris did use his fingers for that. (laughs) He was stomping on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Millennial Milf, for your stars and your milfness. And we hope that you share our podcast with your kids. Mm. (laughs) I don't know how appropriate that is. This episode might be more appropriate for kids. I don't even know if she shares her screen name with her kids. (laughs) I already said something about fucking their mom, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Probably not, actually, Millennial Milf, sorry. <laughs> so, uh, on to the holidays. <laughs> Make the spirit bright. It's our holiday episode. It is indeed our first holiday episode, and it is our Christmas gift to you, or perhaps the first of eight Hanukkah gifts for mm-hmm. you, or a Kwanzaa gift. Uh, I did want to ask you guys, do you know anyone who celebrates Kwanzaa? No. No? Nope. No, I've never met anybody that actually celebrates Kwanzaa. Me too. I'm actually very curious about it because it seems really interesting and I would love to hear firsthand like what traditions they might have. Like you can read about it online if you want, but it's not as fun as hearing an actual story about it. So I was looking it up because I was like, I should probably know more about Kwanzaa. And I did not know it was an african-american holiday like mm-hmm. it was started oh, I didn't even here. Know that. yeah yeah in the 60s and so it has nothing to do with religion or um i mean i, th- I think it incorporates some african culture into it but it's not like a long-standing really uh, mm-hmm. yeah like it's like, not like christmas is where it's like evolved for generations and it's not attached to any one religion no and it was basically huh. like created as like a unifying thing for african-americans but african-americans in both continents like they just kind of you know created it and it was sort of in that era where um 
like civil rights. So it was like they were there was like Black Panthers and stuff, and like people were really trying to like carve out sort of like individual like customs and identities for Black people that were really separate from and cre- white and also culture. involved in creating uh, new rituals and new tools of collective storytelling to pass along stories from their history and past that should be preserved. Yes. So since this podcast is coming to you from two Christians and a Jew, all of us not very religious, I wanted to at least acknowledge Kwanzaa. And uh, and there's other religions that just don't happen to have big holidays in December. That is true. So sorry, other religions that are kind of left out. And in fact, uh, Hanukkah is not even a really big holiday for Jews. It's just yeah. because it's around Christmas. Yeah, we're a pretty secular bunch yeah. on the podcast. So as we celebrate Christmas and or whatever else... I guess whatever else is Hanukkah. <laughs> uh, that was the original name of Hanukkah. Whatever. All you, all you dreidel people. But as we do that, it's all tied, I think, to uh, like more like the Christmas iconography or that kind of stuff than any like religious observation for yeah. the three of us, I would say. Yep. Despite our focus on the 1980s and 90s, we do have some listeners who are a couple decades older than us. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mock our listeners. We welcome and include our listeners of all ages. I guess. This is the holiday episode. We have to be inclusive. <laughs> a scooter for Jimmy. A dolly for Sue. The kind that will even say, how do you do? When Christmas Day is here, the most wonderful day. Today we're talking about something that everyone could have seen when they were young. Three classic Christmas-themed TV specials that were released in 1964, 65, and 66. And they are Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and Charlie Brown Christmas. The reason we can talk about this is that they played on TV every year when we were growing up and continuously since they were on. So I think they're very much a part of the collective Christmas experience, no matter how old you are, unless you're like super old, in which case you're actually really probably not listening to this podcast at all. I think it's really interesting. This is our first uh, movies or parts of pop culture that aired before 1980. Um, But I think it's true. There are certain things I would like to like take a look back at like the wizard of oz mm-hmm. and some other uh shows and movies that aired way before we were born but that have had this legacy through you know every single decade like it's a wonderful life is still playing on tv yeah and like disney movies there even if they didn't come out when we were young like they were still like very much part of the canon that people were watching when we were young like, yeah, like dumbo Snow- cinderella Snow yeah. yeah look forward to that <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it all today <laughs> And one reason we wanted to do a holiday episode was because uh, we do like to go back and explore our childhood memories, and nothing really says childhood like Christmas, I think. It's a really something that everyone... Okay, I'm just going to have to admit that <laughs> every time I say Christmas, I just mean the holidays, and I'm just going to probably keep ma- making that mistake <laughs> and assuming that everyone celebrates Christmas, and Becky's just going to keep looking at me with the look she's giving me right now and shaking her head, and I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm so sorry. But the holiday season in general, I think, is something that everyone has memories of, and everyone has some sort of tradition, even if it's not necessarily, like, the customary Christmas tradition. (laughs) Okay. Everyone who is a live human being in America celebrates Jesus's birthday on Christmas Day. That is what happens. Okay, disagree. We all know this. We all know this. We didn't really do... Okay, if there was ever any sort of tradition, it was I got presents 
for Hanukkah and then we had this fake menorah that you just turn the little bulb and it would turn on. And it was a thing on Long Island where I grew up. I mean, there's a large Jewish population. So what the thing that a lot of Jewish families did is they would put that menorah out in their front window. Mm-hmm. So you would see the menorah from the street. And I guess that's why you, you, we didn't like light it on fire and then put it out there because the curtains would go up in flames. <laughs> right. um, but I would do that with my mom and sister and we'd open a little present every night. And maybe the last night there'd be like the bigger gift. So it'd be like little gifts and then one big gift. Becky, that sounds like a holiday tradition. But that's it. (laughs) But that's still a tradition. You did it every year. That's it. Like, I've met people that don't know Jewish people very well or have never, like, met a Jewish person before. And they're just like, so you didn't have a tree? Like, they they don't, like, understand. Wait, you're saying this word... Jewish? You say that, and yet I've met people who were like literally did not ever meet a Jewish person in their entire life. I don't think I ever met a Jewish person that I knew of throughout high school. Like I knew what Hanukkah was, but I didn't. Am I the first Jew you've ever met? I mean, not today because I didn't meet today, but you might have been like back then or one of the first for sure. I mean, when I moved to LA, like I met a whole lot of Jews, and well, we did go to Jerry's famous deli a lot. Yes, we did, (laughs) and I went to many um, Jewish sorority dances. Okay, so Christmas did permeate my consciousness where I watched all the shorts that we're going to talk about today. And I remember really wanting my mom to fill the little stockings I got from like probably McDonald's or Burger King. They had like little toys that were stockings. (laughs) Um, Like they were like a little toy and then you would unfurl them and there would be like a pouch. And I remember like putting it like on the mantle and with scotch tape and like wanting my mom to fill them and every day I'd wake up and she would just not. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever talk to her about this or you just, it was a silent expectation? I don't know for sure, but I feel like maybe I was like, hey mom, I want you to fill like the stockings with stuff and she just wouldn't. She's like, we're Jewish. That's where she drew the line? (laughs) But it's not like about, like I didn't want to like worship Jesus. I wanted like fun little (laughs) things that my friends had too. Like I wanted a tree. I'm married to a man who was raised Catholic. He's not Catholic now, but he was raised Catholic, so he had Christmas growing up. And now we have trees, and I fucking love it. And I have stockings, <laughs> and we have a little menorah, too, and I fucking love it. And I'm not going to church, but I love having the tree and decorating it and putting lights up and, and the whole, you know, holiday thing. I love it. Back to your childhood briefly, though. Mm-hmm. During that time, like when it was during Hanukkah or like around Christmas Day, would you get together with other family, like other parts of your family okay, at all? Okay, I would guess you there all, are like, more traditions. <laughs> <laughs> now come to think of it. I was right. <laughs> well, so yeah, technically we had okay. seven reindeer, but we put them on a sled and just pulled presents around. <laughs> That's not a tradition. So on Christmas, we would go see a movie, me, my sister, and my mom. We'd see a movie, and then we would go get Chinese. Food. I was going to call bullshit on you if you did not mention that, because I, I know that that is your Christmas tradition. I haven't done it in so many, ever since I've been out here, I haven't That's because you're celebrating Christmas with your husband. Yeah, yeah, and I love it. As a tradition. <laughs> I don't even really like Chinese food, so it was, like, it was a very begrudging tradition. I feel um, like that may be one of the most controversial things that's been said on this true, podcast, true. both I, as a Jewish person and as a Becky. When I discovered Thai food senior year of high school, I was like, this is so much better. <laughs> I think when I was a little older in high school, I would for like Christmas Eve go over to some Christian friends' houses and a bunch of like <laughs> and burn their a bunch Christmas of my streets. fellow Jews and I would go over and we'd spend like Christmas Eve with them. But then we would just be with our families. The thing was that I would go to the movie and go to dinner, and then otherwise on the day, like it was just me in my room with my toys or my movies. Like it wasn't like a whole like day of opening gifts and spending the day together and playing board games. Like mm-hmm. I never like had that. 
So I did feel like I was like missing something and I felt like left out. Even on Long Island, when there is like a big Jewish population, I still felt like, well, I don't get to have a tree and I don't get to have stockings and spend the day with my family. And it still did feel like I was missing out on something. Again, I don't want to like worship Jesus and go to church. But now like I have my husband and and we spend the day together and we play board games and maybe we'll go see a movie later that night. And I, I like having the day to just chill, you know, drink wine all day or drink hot chocolate or just like be at home. And we spend it with like my in-laws. And it's just like a nice day of relaxing and, and being with people all day. Do you think that the kind of missing out feeling that you had was more of a cultural thing because there was so much Christmas in culture or was it like more of like the experience that you saw other people having or both? Yeah, maybe both. Yeah. I mean, it does do something to you when everyone gets to celebrate a thing and you don't get to do it and you're not exactly sure why you don't get to do it. Like, why couldn't we have a tree? That doesn't make us Christians that go to church. Yeah, it does feel like you don't get to do a thing. And that's why when we talk about, like, Feifel, like, it's nice to see little animated mice, like, celebrating Hanukkah. (laughs) Like, it's nice to have that representation. I think there was something else that we covered that I was like, oh, it was nice to see, like, a Jew. Maybe Adam's family values, like, the kid was Jewish. Yeah. Um, Yeah, And he was, like, the hero of, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's nice to have some sort of representation. And I think nowadays there is much more. Like, Seth Rogen um, and a lot of the people that he makes movies with are Jewish and so there's a big thing like and they actually incorporate it into their storytelling yeah exactly like Rachel Bloom on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is Jewish and that's like a big part so there's like you know Jewish themes and songs there's a lot more people making stuff that I feel like if I was growing up now there would just be more options for Judaism in pop culture that said I can't think of a single (laughs) animated short that is Jewish (laughs) like that is like celebrating Hanukkah or something I can't think of anything so I'm going to guess that you never believed in Santa Claus no Never. Okay. <laughs> Seth. I don't know what this question of belief is. I know Santa Claus. I have met him. I've written him several letters and he answered everyone. Okay. I was raised Presbyterian in Louisiana and all of both sides of my family celebrated Christmas and it was always a very, very big holiday in both sides of my family. I saw all of these shorts a bajillion times growing up. I believe I saw them all for the first time at my grandmom's house. That would be my mom's mother. Like she and my mom's mom's family were all Catholic, like super Catholic. That was just like a big part of those holidays was watching those Christmas specials together. And they would go to mass in the morning, but we would just come over to her house, my grandparents' house after that. And we would all open presents together. Pretty much all of my extended family, because at the time when I was growing up, they were all living in New Orleans and were close enough that they could just all drive in. So that was always great. And then also, as far as like the kinds of Christmas celebrations, we would open some presents like at my house, then go over to my grandmom's house. And then my dad's side of the family, a lot of them lived up in St. Louis, Missouri. So we would drive up to St. Louis for Christmas a lot of years. And that would be great too, because it would snow there most of the time. So I would get that Mm. experience of the white Christmas and not just a Caucasian Christmas. (laughs) So Christmas was always a very big holiday for me. And I mean, as is, I think, pretty natural for most people as they grow up, your family grows up and they move to different parts of the country. And like I moved out to California. So the way that I celebrate Christmas is very different now. I mean, like I don't go back to New Orleans for Christmas Day. I I 
go home to visit around that time each year. But I come back to Los Angeles for Christmas and... I love the day itself for very different reasons now, because on Christmas Day, Los Angeles completely mm-hmm. empties out, and it's like a ghost town, and it's enjoyable to drive around in and like be in the city when there are vastly fewer people around. But I still like to spend the day spending time with friends. If we have presents to exchange, exchanging and opening presents and enjoying that feeling of giving something special to each other, I still mark it as a day to kind of enjoy enjoy company with people you love and care about. But it certainly never really held any religious value for me. But I definitely was told the the epic tale of Santa Claus from birth. And uh, being a very nosy little person, the myth of Santa Claus did not last long for me. Chris, what about you? I'm curious. About my Santa Claus belief or disbelief? Your Claus story. I have a very specific story about this, actually. <laughs> Like one morning before school, I was just like joking around with my mom. I think I was in second grade. So I was on the older side of like still believing in Santa Claus. And I was just like, you're Santa Claus. And she's like, that's right, I am. And I just like burst into just tears. Like that. Uh, well, she might have said it differently, but in my in my mind, it was a cold hard cut <laughs> to I my heart. Am. And I was just like devastated. I was like, oh my god, and like <laughs> cried for like half an hour. Aww. Like wanted to be alone. And then I like was thinking about it some more. And then I like went into my mom's room and I was like, does this mean you're also the tooth fairy and the Easter bunny? And she's like, yes. <laughs> and I burst into tears again. <laughs> oh my God. And continues to cry. This was a hell of a day. Yeah. I like your, I like your logic proof. If this is true, then this must be true <laughs> as well. It took a while for me to come up with that. I was like. <laughs> he was, he was a beautiful minding his own room. I was like, I'm fine with this as long patients. as there is actually a bunny coming here and leaving me eggs. <laughs> I can let go of the, the the fat man in the chimney. I'm going to find it very difficult to teach any of my, my children any of these myths. It's going right. to be very I know. hard. I go back and forth with whether it's a good idea or it's kind of a devastating moment to like realize you were being lied to. And even <laughs> though it was a fun lie where it's doing the opposite of trying to hurt you, they're trying to like make you believe in, you know, magic and fun and weird stuff that but here's the thing. an old man does. You can make up your own traditions. You can make up your own myths. You can make up whatever you want to do. It is entirely optional to teach people any of this shit. Right, but if I make it my own myths, then they're just going to be devastated (laughs) later on of my own made They don't have to be. You're like, Santa Claus is actually Jewish. (laughs) Don't tell the other kids. (laughs) They can be myths about how, like, Mama Becky has to, like, get a rocket pack to go find all of the presents that she brings. Hey, I like that. Yeah, like, you don't have to make it this, like, lie. (laughs) This overt... Deception <laughs> that you impose on your children. Interesting. I don't know if I would ever tell my kids that or if I would maybe just kind of like be straight with them early on and be like, Look, I put in my hard earned money to go to the toy <laughs> yeah. store to get you shit. I want the credit. <laughs> I exchange dollars for goods and services. <laughs> so, yeah, before that devastating revelation. I remember being really excited on Christmas morning. It's that kind of classic, I couldn't sleep. Like, every time I heard, like, something on the roof, I was like, oh, he's here. Like, I listened so attentively, like, for, like, reindeer hoof steps on the roof. 
So yeah, nice. and I definitely like <laughs> believed that I heard him once, and I was like, "Oh my god, he's here!" And I, I think it was like daylight. Actually, it was like really like early in the morning, but I was still convinced. I was like, "Oh, he got here late," but thank God he's getting in just under the wire. See, like my parents laid on the deception even harder. Like my mom would tell me a story about the time that she swore she heard Santa. Mm. Like she tried to keep it up. Hmm. Ooh. Yeah, my mom was clause committed. What a tangled yeah. web we weave. <laughs> and I kind of miss that feeling of being that excited about something, because I don't think I was ever as excited about anything in my entire life as I was about Christmas morning when I was like six or seven years old. Come on, you still get excited to like, when you go, when you know there's a movie coming out you really want to see, like... I don't get that excited about yeah, anything. like, can't sleep, like, roll, tossing and turning in bed, like, ooh, like, I was trying to physically restrain myself from getting out of bed and just, like, tearing open the presents. Literally, I like, that excited. even the idea of being so excited, I wake up early and bound out of bed, like, that is a distant fantasy for me now. Uh, yeah, mm. I get excited about stuff, sure, or I get... My version of that now is like panic sweats and uh, anxiety attacks. <laughs> Did you ever have the Christmas panic sweats? I probably had the Christmas poops once or twice. Oh, God. <laughs> That's not what he asked. Oh, but it was. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> All right. So now we know what panic sweats is coded for. <laughs> yeah. It's sweating out one way or another. So like Seth, Christmas was a very big deal in my family. My grandma loves Christmas. She has an entire room in her house devoted to Christmas decorations that are distributed throughout the house (laughs) in late November or early December (laughs) by grandchildren. Honestly, I feel like all non-bubby grandmothers are the keepers of Christmas. Mm -hmm. So we would spend hours decorating her house. Like, Like, she lives in a pretty big house, so it was like up and down the stairs, like hundreds of times with like Christmas decorations. She goes all out and she really makes sure that it's kind of like this tradition and it's the same every year. So every year we eat the same thing. The day follows like the same pattern. We all sit around and she goes crazy with the gifts and it's kind of vulgar sometimes, (laughs) honestly, like how much we get. And I'm like, "Mm." and grandma's like, fuck it up in your gift, you fucks. (laughs) That is definitely not like, not that kind of vulgar. No, no. But yeah, it's just like, it's very, very excessive and it lasts all day and it's kind of, it's exhausting, but it's also in a chaotic world. It's the one thing I know, like I'll be going back. I've never not gone back for Christmas and I know I'm going back this year and it's like, it's going to be exactly the same. Like I know exactly what to count on for that. I kind of like it for that is that it's nice to have these days where we can mark the turning of a new year with something that is the same every time. Yeah, and I mean, like, in my own case, our concerted efforts at keeping that tradition up pretty much died with my grandmothers. My last grandfather and then both of my grandmothers pretty much died within the span of a little under a year. And basically on both sides of it, like on the on my dad's side and on my mom's side, having those celebrations, like keeping the day Christmas, it kind of never really happened the same way after that. And I do kind of miss that because it was not always the same. Like some years we would go to St. Louis, some years we would go to my grandmother's house. When my grandmother eventually moved to New Orleans, like in the later years of her life, we would end up celebrating with both halves of the family and split our day. So it wasn't always the same thing, but it was always that same kind of feeling and one I would always look forward to, definitely. Yeah, I think that's pretty common for a lot of people that I've talked to that their Christmases are different than they were as kids. Mine is exactly the same. So it's almost eerie because it's like going back in time. (laughs) 
<laughs> what? I don't know. That just sounded dark, you, darker than I meant it to be. I do see Christmas as also a holiday that's tinged with nostalgia. And nostalgia always has a big part of it that's sad. Mm-hmm. Because it is always about the past and what has changed and what isn't there anymore and what is still there. I don't think you can really separate the two. And a lot of people who are depressed and like a lot of people who have like substance abuse disorders, the holidays are a tough time. Yeah. Because it is a time where you're reminded so much of what has gone and what isn't the same as it used to be. So I feel like that's kind of special to still have that that you can go back to every year, Chris. Yeah, I think that the fact that it's the end of the year also, like, punctuates that because, you know, it's like, oh, it's the end of this year. And if you don't feel like you really accomplished anything or that you're far enough away from where you were last year, it can be very, like, oh. And then there's this contrast, I think, between, like, how happy every Christmas decoration is and the music. It's usually so cheerful. And then that can make you, I think, feel extra not good if you're not already feeling Well, and not only that, but, like, This was a kind of thing that I wasn't even sure how we would get into or if we would get into it, but I kind of understand why the idea of Christmas is one that, you know, like was taken from a pagan holiday that was around for thousands of years. It also makes sense that like something like Hanukkah is also around the same time of year because it is the time of year when there is the least sunlight, when the days are over the quickest, when there's often really inclement weather, like it's super cold outside. Not exactly speaking (laughs) specifically to Los Angeles right now. I'm wearing a scarf. I'm hot, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Chris is sweating bullets over here. He's got the Christmas sweats. Um, I do not. (laughs) (laughs) It makes sense to me that this time of year would produce both that kind of sorrow and that kind of like natural human inclination to try to party away your blues and celebrate and get together and spend time together. So what about like pop culture stuff? Did you guys have specific movies that you would watch every year or specific like Christmas music or holiday. I, there's probably not very many Hanukkah songs. Hanukkah, I know there's... Hanukkah, come light the menorah. Yeah. <laughs> Is that it? We're all, all dance the horror. Dreidel, 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 I made you out of clay. When it's dry and ready. All the hits. There's some. <laughs> yeah, um, so what's your relationship <laughs> with like holiday music since... We had to sing some in choir. I mean, yeah. there's a million Christmas songs. Do you like Christmas music? No. I like the Charlie Brown, Vince Guaraldi, which we'll get into it later. Mm-hmm. Um, that counts as holiday music. Like, do you ever put on holiday music to get yourself in a December-y mood? Never. Okay. I even once bought, like, Broadway Does Christmas or something, and it was, like, Broadway <laughs> stars singing Christmas, and I think I listened to it once, and then it just lives in my little CD folder, <laughs> and it never... Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. Seth? I mean, I kind of got into this earlier, but like Christmas as a day and as a season was like constant Christmas music, Christmas movies. I mean, we had traditions in my family that were slightly different in that like we would always watch National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Like that was one of our mainstay. That's a com- common one. Yeah, yeah, like our mainstay Christmas staples. But we would also like listen to lots of carols. Unfortunately, my parents were really into Mannheim Steamroller, which I believe is a musical war crime. 
I liked their Carol of the Bells. It's very epic. Boy, did they ever turn that up to 11. Uh-huh. Yeah, Mannheim Steamroller, Becky, was like a prog rock group that only played Christmas songs. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, like, Angeloid Weber does Christmas, basically. I'm, I can hear it in my brain, I'm sure, from commercials. And, you oh. know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm I, sure. Yeah. Like, at, and add even more synthesizer and you're close. Yeah. What about you? Why, thank you for asking. (laughs) (laughs) One of the reasons I asked that is because, like, I think that these three Christmas specials were the only thing that I really watched every year. I can't remember a specific Christmas movie that feels like a tradition to me. There are definitely songs. Uh, My favorite Christmas song growing up was Debbie Gibson's Sleigh Ride. Ooh. Very festive. Now, as a, an adult, I believe it is, I have two. It's Not Tonight Santa by Girls Aloud, which is sort of a, in the tradition of smuttiness with uh, Santa Baby, kind of. It's <laughs> a little bit naughty, but still peppy and fun. And um, The Waitress's Christmas Wrapping. Do you know that song, Seth? I am convinced you just made that up. No. The Waitress's Christmas Wrapping. All right, I'm going to play it for you guys. Is the name of the group The Waitress? The Waitresses. They're the ones who sing, I Know What Boys Like. Oh, Red am I already mad rush just cause it's just the season The perfect gift for me would be completions and connections left from last year Ski shop encounter, most interesting Add his number but never the time Most of anyone pass along those lines So deck those halls, trim those trees Raise up cups of Christmas cheer I just need to catch my breath Yeah, I'm actually really surprised that you guys don't know that song because they used to play it at Christmas time, even on like the 107.7 The End, the station I used to listen to that played all the Nirvana. Seattle's alternative hits. Yeah, but that was what they played at Christmas time. So I thought that was a worldwide phenomenon. That brings us to our first topic, which is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You may have heard of him. Uh, He went down in history. Fake news. (laughs) He did. He went down. Yup. For takeoff practice, I mean. Yup. I bet you'll be the best. Oh, I don't know. Something wrong with your nose. I mean, you talk kind of funny. What's so funny about the way I talk? Well, don't get angry. I don't mind. You don't? Clarice? Hey, after practice, would you... Would you... Rudolph, you get back here. It's your turn, you know. Gee, I gotta go back. Would you walk home with me? Uh Uh-huh. Rudolph. I think you're cute. I'm cute! I'm cute! 
Rudolph was created by Robert L. May, who was from New York. He was Jewish, actually, and he wanted to be the great American novelist, but instead ended up writing ad copy for the retailer Montgomery Ward in Chicago. He was heavily in debt due to his wife, her long battle with cancer. And so in 1939, his boss asked him to write a cherry Christmas book starring an animal. And he decided that a reindeer would be a good animal to pick, which was pretty sensible. And as he was writing the book, um, his wife actually died of cancer. So he kind of like delved into it more fully because it was kind of like his way to process that. In 1939, the same month that Gone with the Wind was released in theaters, 2.4 million copies of the book were distributed and it was a big hit with the shoppers. The copy of the book is actually different than the song. The song was written later by May's brother-in-law Johnny Marks in 1949 and recorded by Gene Autry. It became the best-selling record of all time. And he went on to write the songs Run Run Rudolph, so sticking with the reindeer theme, (laughs) Rocking Around the Christmas Tree, and the music in the TV special. So the TV special was the Rankin-Bass stop-motion animated version, which first aired at 5.30 p.m. on December 6, 1964. Advertised with the copy, General Electric presents another full-color fantasy hour. Which sounds much more psychedelic than I think Rudolph actually is. (laughs) It was shot in Japan over 18 months, and all of the voice actors were Canadian, except for Bill Lives. One of the reviews of it was uh, Bill Pittman of the Indianapolis News said, Efforts to modernize Christmas with such insipid treacle as last night's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer presentation should be resisted in the streets, the alleys, and on the beaches. Whoa, he went World War II with that shit? Yeah. (laughs) Wow. He sounds like he'd really get along with those people who get mad about the Starbucks cups. Oh man, totally. (laughs) Yeah, he'd be a war on Christmas guy right now. Oh, for sure. It first aired on NBC, but it originally did not have the ending with the Misfit Toys. Like, that storyline was kind of dropped. <laughs> Santa did not go back for them. And people were upset because they they promised that they're going to go back and then nothing. So they reshot that ending and it aired in 65 with that ending and has always had that ending since. <laughs> and then it switched over to CBS in the 70s. So it's been run every year since it was first on in 1964 and is the longest running TV special in history for Christmas. May later described Rudolph as the little deer who started out in life as a loser, and he went on to write lesser-known works, including Sam the Scaredest Scarecrow and Benny the Bunny Liked Beans, (laughs) (laughs) which I'm not familiar with. Are you? A worthy story, I'm sure. We'll cover that in the next episode. (laughs) So basically, alliteration was kind of his whole thing, right? I I think animals... Animal situations that are alliterative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we're honing in on a theme. So you guys saw this uh, when you were children, Mm -hmm. and... (laughs) I have not seen it since I was a child. Um, It's too long. (laughs) That's, That's my number one complaint. Oh, man, some things should just be 20 minutes... And this was like almost 50. This was like a full hour. It's basically an hour. Yeah. yeah. Oh. With commercials, yeah, it's an hour. It was just, it was real tedious to get through. It was hard. <laughs> As an adult in 2017, <laughs> it was real difficult to finish this. Seth. Well, yeah, I watched this and all of the Rankin and Bass holiday specials growing up. Again, that was definitely one that I would have seen for the first time on a recorded VHS tape at my grandmom's house. It's so long. It's these these specials were basically hour longs at, for the most part, and Charlie Brown Christmas was one of the first ones that was a half hour, and that was a good change, because boy did they not have a full hour of story 
to put into no, this one. No, the story, I did not remember how long this was. I literally thought it was going to be like 15 minutes and it was just going to be the story of Rudolph and how like yeah. his Rudolph, <laughs> you know, his reindeer buddies like were like, we don't like you. And then how they changed their mind and accepted him. And I didn't know the there was this whole thing with like some other guy and an elf and other toys. Like I didn't remember any of that. And I don't really think it needed it because <laughs> man, was it difficult to finish Yeah, this. I forgot that this is actually the story of an, a Twinkie elf who wants to be a dentist. <laughs> yeah, a dentist! A dentist? I think they're going for irony in that, like, the most, like, fanciful thing you could want to be is, like, an elf at Christmas. So, of course, an elf would want to be something r- really mundane and kind of lame. <laughs> yeah, no. It, but it's, it's a little creepy. It, it, that wasn't exactly subtext. But it also wasn't exactly subtext that this elf was definitely gay. <laughs> who are you? Well, actually, I am a dentist. A dentist? Well, I want to be someday. Right now, I'm just an elf. But I don't need anybody. I'm... I'm independent. Yeah? Me too. I'm... whatever you said. Hey, what do you say we both be independent together, huh? It's a deal. But is Rudolph also gay? <laughs> well, he's got that girl uh, reindeer that's in him, and, and he seems to really like that because at some point he's like jumping for joy, saying like, I'm cute! She thinks I'm cute! Yeah, he's into that, though. <laughs> I don't know. The whole thing this time kind of really felt like a coming out story where it's like... He's Not born, for Rudolph. Uh, I really disagree. Maybe with his parents. Like, yeah, he's born yeah. different. His dad wants him to be more masculine and like other boys, and he isn't. And so he gets kicked out of his house and goes to find an island of misfits. It's very Pinocchio. It could be. It could be anything, and you could read. Yeah, I'm not thing, saying it, that it was necessarily intended like that, but in 2017, I think that that's... Oh, but I com- I really disagree. I think Rudolph is set up as the straight man, literally and narratively, because he clearly likes the ladies and is into them. Like, he is the awkward, nerdy kid who, like, gets picked last for dodgeball. But Hermie is clearly just a really twinky gay guy. Like, he literally has, like, swoopy blonde hair. He has a really femme voice. But that's they it. Call, no, it's, no, that's really not it. They call him, like, willy-nilly and a silly billy. And, like, <laughs> this is different gay. from the rest. He has the most, like, pinched, nasally voice. All right, so, to be clear, I think they're both gay. Seth thinks only the elf is gay. And Becky thinks none, none of them are so gay. So Becky's a homophobe. <laughs> Uh, but we can eliminate Hi. her immediately. She'd be fine if they are gay. She just doesn't believe that they are. Yeah. <laughs> Becky, do you not think that anyone was gay that this far oh back? Oh my god! It looks- <laughs> Wait, Becky, are you saying reindeer can't be homosexual? I want to talk about how this was probably perfectly fine at the time, but I was watching it like, okay, am I going to show my kids this one day? And like, I really like wouldn't because like I'm getting nothing out of it. <laughs> but also. It's just so, like, why would a child today? I like how you, like, won't let your children watch anything if you're not getting something out of it. You're like, should I feed my children? Well, what am I You're going to raise them on Clockwork Orange and train spotting. There's plenty of Pixar and Disney that are great that I can also watch and, like, not want to shoot myself in the brain. Um, And this is not one of those movies. 
I just don't understand what like kids today would get out of it because like a lot of it is like oh everyone's such a dick to Rudolph like I don't even really like the lesson in particular you know what I mean or like them just being like jerks to him and also it's just so earnest it's so hard to watch something so earnest with absolutely no we'll get into it later but like the Grinch has at least a little bit of dark humor to it mm-hmm. like something like this is just so earnest that it's it's so hard to watch okay but there like the earnestness aside there are a couple things about this movie that are fucking bonkers that I totally do not remember <laughs> and that I we have to talk about what yeah Okay, so, like, first, immediately and most importantly, we have to discuss the force-feeding torture scenario that's going on in the Claus home. So, like, the first... I loved that. The first scene where we see Santa Claus, Mrs. Claus is forcing him to eat. She, like, like, her first line, Mrs. Claus's first line is, like, eat, 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 and her, like, brow is, like, really furrowed and angry. (laughs) Santa Claus calls Mrs. Claus mama. Mm-hmm. She and, calls him papa. And she calls him papa. Yeah. And so it's this is like terrifying to me. And I think it clearly they have a very dysfunctional home life, which is understandable because they live at the North Pole and they're very remote <laughs> and separated from humans. Oh my God. But it was very strange and it was a weird way to characterize Santa Claus. Cause I thought it, it was funny. <laughs> I thought it was macabre. What, that he would just eat a lot to be jolly and fat? No, that he was, that he started out super skinny and that she was like fattening him up for winter. After that scene, Sam the Snowman, who's like our narrator of this special, has the line, Mrs. Claus will have him plenty fattened up for Christmas Eve. It's always the same story. And my note was just like, what? Like, is the story of Santa Claus that he, like, goes on crash diets every other part of the year and has to, like, catch up and eat a ton of stuff, like, binge eat before Christmas? Maybe he's, like, in hibernation. See, that's what (laughs) did add a little bit of darkness to this movie that you said was missing is that Santa Claus, yeah, that he, like, isn't naturally fat and he has to do, like, this performative thing just to become the Santa Claus that everyone else wants him to be. It, it kind of fits in with the theme of Rudolph having to also, like, fit in with everything. Like, everyone's very much trying to fit in. Chris, did you enjoy watching this? I did enjoy watching this uh, <laughs> this time. For me, this is the most nostalgic one. Because it, I feel like who would want to watch this if not for nostalgia? I don't know if I would enjoy it if I just put it on now. I mean, I enjoyed it mostly probably because of the nostalgia, because I wasn't, like, sitting there, like, riveted or, like, what a brilliant line or Uh shot, you know? The animation is, like, it's cute, but it's kind of crude. But I just found it so charming, and I always remember this more than the other two specials that we'll talk about later as the one that was, like, the definitive, like, it means it's Christmas when Rudolph is on TV. And I needed that to get into the holiday spirit. So I have obviously not watched this every year, since I don't know when I stopped watching it. Probably I was 11 or 12 or something like that. Today was the first time I had watched it since then. (laughs) I woke up at 8.30 to watch all of these Christmas specials. Bounding out of bed. I made hot cocoa. Aww. (laughs) And I was... Like, it got me into the Christmas spirit. I'm, like, wearing a scarf now. (laughs) I have my peppermint and my Americano. Like, all of a sudden today... You basic bitch. I know. <laughs> like I, such a hipster I, I, Christmas spirit where you're wearing a sweater. 
sweater in 80 degree Los Angeles <laughs> temperature. You have peppermint in your iced Americano. Why aren't you wearing Uggs right now, Chris? <laughs> oh, I forgot them. No, I mean, it, it is super basic, but it, I feel like most years I don't get into the Christmas spirit, really, because we live in L.A. and it's like, it doesn't really feel very Christmassy here. So sometimes when I get back, like I'll often fly back on like the 23rd and then it's like suddenly very cold and there's a Christmas tree and I'm like oh yeah I guess mm-hmm. that's this thing but it like it's it takes me a while to get into it if I do at all and now this year I'm like ready I'm like I'm into it and I think it's because I watched this <laughs> Rudolph special I think I'm gonna do it every year I bought it for three dollars on Black Friday <laughs> and I think it was a good purchase because um. it brought me so much festive joy I mean, there there are some other things about this movie that are interesting. I mean, like the story of Rudolph itself, I see not primarily about sexuality or like queerness or anything, but kind of about capitalism in the sense that like deviating from what's set as the norm or what's set as normal is only allowed and permitted if you can exploit it and take advantage of it. Santa Claus is the boss and the kind of emperor is the person who has all the power and the reindeer all reject Rudolph because he's different, because he's not like the rest of them. But the boss sees something in Rudolph that he can use to his own advantage and it's only then when Rudolph is tolerated among everyone. Yeah, and it does kind of reinforce sort of a capitalist message because Rudolph is out on his own and like failing until he gets put to use by Santa Claus. Exactly. I just didn't like this. I understand it's part of the story, but I really didn't like the scenes of how they were done of like his dad constantly like putting him down and trying to hide his nose. And then and then his nose is revealed in front of everyone. And Santa is like blaming the dad <laughs> for raising this kind of son. Gay. I get that's like the story, but like it just rubbed me the wrong way where I wouldn't want to show my kids that like to learn this lesson. Like I would probably show them something else that's a little bit more tactful. It didn't hold up for me in the way that was done. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, it, I feel like that must have used something that has just changed in culture over time because I don't remember thinking that when I was a kid. Yeah, Like of this seemed like a normal story and now I'm kind of like, everyone in this movie is pretty horrible. Not everyone, but all of the reindeer and Santa Claus. They're not nice people. Yeah, and the misfit toys part is strange. Also, some of those toys don't seem like misfits. So, I'm like, what did they do? Yeah, to they get really. Up there? I, we don't see their misfit shenanigans whatsoever. Yeah, there's a doll that seems like a perfectly fine doll. I wonder they what she asked, did. They asked like the creator, one of the producers of this, about that, and they said, "Oh, she's depressed, <laughs> and that's so she do- feels like she can never be loved by a human." Oh my god. Dark. I want to talk about um, Yukon Cornelius. Yes, that's See, one. See, because that was like is that, that the bearded guy. Mm-hmm. He, he's the the big bear lumberjack man who's constantly licking his uh, pickaxe. He's always licking that pick. I have to say, like silver and gold. That was one of my first like Christmas memories. Sam the Snowman sings it. It was originally Cornelius, and then they changed it to the Snowman oh, okay. when Carl Ives came aboard. Um, but that was one of my first like Christmas memories. Is that song "Silver and Gold"? So. I would agree with you, Becky, that nostalgia is basically the only compelling reason to pop this in. But <laughs> but it's such a compelling reason. It hit it that is. button, baby! It hit that button. I would like to say that watching this made me think of all of the modern day stop motion holiday specials that it kind of inspired the ones in particular that are now my holiday traditions are uh, my husband and I watched the community episode that stop motion that is very clearly, you know, an homage 
to this. And also, um, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia's Christmas special, where they have a segment that is a, a really dark song that so is where there's stop motion and it's very clearly inspired by this and I know that they're kind of like parodying it but mm. I appreciate that this exists so that, that they could parody it decades later because yeah. I really like those that's kind of my more cup of tea now like I would rather not dip into the past of like this very genuine earnest Christmas stuff I want like modern day holiday specials did you find it sexist what Rudolph yeah because I, I had a few moments I that mean, were the girl little... ranger doesn't have much to do i mean she's cause she's yeah. nice to him but yeah. i just yeah so i'm guessing that like women reindeer can't fly in this universe because it's only the men who get to be on santa sleigh yeah so I, I find that a little bit problematic i was more bored than actually like picking this movie well, apart and it's like <laughs> look like it's not that these movies are like problematic in some way, it's not like they're intentionally discriminatory. Their cultural context, in the case of all of them, is one where the majority is, and the only voice is white and male and straight and Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, it's more that anything that isn't that just kind of doesn't really exist. Well, it's interesting that this story is about two male figures, Rudolph and Hermie who don't conform to this, but the story is all about them. But then on off to the side, there's women who aren't even considered that, like, they might also, like, not be cool with this. And it's like, that's not even, it's, well, it yeah. has to be male-centric. Yeah, and well, and not just male-centric, but it's how those males end up finding a way to fit in and, like, assimilate and, again, be, be useful, quote-unquote. Yeah, there's, uh, like, when they do the fight with the abominable snowman, they're like, we need to get the women home. And uh, I think it's... The dad also says, like, this is man's work at some point. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, the women are very much like. Brushed off to the side. Housewife, house yeah. deer. Yeah. Yeah. Leave it to beaverish. Yeah. My favorite moment of this, and this is one moment that I really, really did remember from this, because a lot of this was like, we were talking about when we watched the Don Bluth movies. It's like, you don't, you, if you, someone asked you before you were watching it, you wouldn't be able to tell them the whole plot. But then as soon as everything happened, it was like, oh yes, I remember this perfectly. Mm-hmm. But uh, for me, the one thing that I've carried with me from this movie is the part where he jumps around screaming I'm cute. <laughs> of course, because you would do that all the time, uh, I'm sure. I frequently do in my head. Like, I literally <laughs> have that <laughs> ringing in my head, like, if someone that I like tells me I'm cute, I hear I'm that cute, cute. I'm and like I'm flying around. So. If you ever tell me that, just know that that's what I'm doing internally. Well, we won't run that risk. (laughs) So I do want to say that if I were Hermie and Yukon Cornelius, I'd be really pissed that I got cut out from this song because it's all about Rudolph and they were just inserted in there. But I feel like the song misses the point that his nose is very squeaky. That's actually the worst thing is that that sound that it makes when it lights up, that like kind of feedbacky noise is actually much worse than the I actual I didn't even remember living. that happened. You don't remember the sound of the no, notes? No, I was more focused on the brightness. <laughs> Papa, Mama, he's, he's got a shiny nose. It's a, it's a shiny, I'd even say it glow. Let's move on now to the next special we're discussing, A Charlie Brown Christmas. This was a 1965 animated TV special based on the comic strip Peanuts by Charles M. Schultz. 
Peanuts ran from October 2nd, 1950 to February 13th, 2000. It is the most popular and influential in the history of comic strips, with over 17,000 strips published in all. Uh, And at its peak in the mid to late 60s, Peanuts ran in over 2,600 newspapers, with a readership of around 355 million people in 75 countries. A Charlie Brown Christmas was produced by Lee Mendelson and directed by Bill Melendez, and it made its debut on CBS on December 9th, 1965. Uh, and in the special, the lead character, Charlie Brown, finds himself depressed despite the onset of the cheerful holiday season. His friend Lucy suggests he direct a neighborhood Christmas play, but his best efforts are ignored and mocked by his peers. And after his friend Linus tells Charlie Brown the true meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown cheers up and the Peanuts gang unites to celebrate the Christmas season. So this special was actually commissioned and sponsored by the Coca-Cola Corporation. It was written over just a couple weeks and animated on a shoestring budget of $96,000 in only six months. I didn't notice Charlie Brown drinking a a Coke. They cut out a scene (laughs) where Linus, when they're first ice skating in the beginning of it, he crashes into a Coke sign, but they cut that out for like repeat airings. (laughs) And there were other things that were part of it that explicitly mentioned Coke. And those were actually stripped out of the subsequent airings, too. Wow. Because they mention commercialism a lot in this movie. It's used, like, four or five times. And I think that makes it kind of meta, in a way, in a way that we're not used to from, like, 60s things. Like, if they're commenting on it being commercial, like, it's obvious that they're also selling a product. But when they cut out the product, it's not very meta because it's just... I wouldn't say meta. I would say hypocritical. (laughs) Because it seems like they're saying that's a bad thing that it's commercialized. And yet they're like, here, drink a Coke. Well, I feel like it's the same way that 30 Rock does it, where they're like making fun of the network that they're on, but they're still on that network. And like, Well, and also, Becky, the story revolves around revealing the true meaning of Christmas, which is as the specific Christian allegory of it is told. It's not hypocritical. It is, if not like openly subverting the commerciality of Christmas, definitely critiquing it. It's a very unconventional animated special in a lot of ways. Like I mentioned briefly earlier, it was a half hour when most of the specials were an hour long at the time. And the program soundtrack was also really unorthodox. It was a jazz score by pianist Vince Guaraldi, who wrote the very famous Linus and Lucy song that's kind of referred to as the Peanut song. Thank you, Becky. he wrote for a documentary special that was made about Charles Schultz and about the strip. And that documentary special had a brief animated interstitial moment that then was kind of the springboard to get Bill Melendez and Charles Schultz uh, the creation of this special pitched to them. A lot of things about it, the jazz score itself, the lack of a laugh track, which was kind of also a staple in comedy at the time, the tone, the pacing, and the animation... 
all led the producers and the network to really wrongly predict that the project would be a complete disaster before it was broadcast. Contrary to that apprehension, A Charlie Brown Christmas received very high ratings and acclaim from critics. It has since gotten an Emmy and a Peabody Award. It is definitely an annual broadcast in the United States. It usually shows a couple times uh, leading up to Christmas. And the jazz soundtrack also achieved huge commercial success. It sold 4 million copies in the United States alone. And there have been live theatrical versions of A Charlie Brown Christmas. And ABC currently has the rights to the special, and they're usually the network that broadcasts it. Yeah, the music from this is really, I think, iconic. And even if you haven't seen the special in a long time, I think that that Christmas time is here has become basically a very like widespread Christmas staple. Like you hear it all the time, and it's it's so sad and but mm-hmm. like in a kind of like melancholy, feel good kind of way though. Yeah. But it's for me, it's the song that I like to put on when I'm like kind of in a more reflective mood, but want to be like Christmassy. Yeah, so I mean, I, at this point, I'll kind of go into what I connected with with A Charlie Brown Christmas. I mean, it was definitely, again, one of those Christmas specials I saw at my grandmom's house first and would kind of rewatch every year. And it is definitely a sad Christmas story and a story about a kind of sad sack kid around the Christmas season. And even before I had any context for, like, depression or any of the kind of adult ways to describe complicated, not altogether great feelings, I really connected with the way that Charlie Brown saw the world and the way that he kind of wrestled with Christmas and didn't fully get in the Christmas spirit. And I really also connected very early on with Charlie Brown, like, noticing how selfish and greedy the people around him got during that time of year and how fixated a lot of people were on just getting a ton of presents, like, and getting a ton of fancy material possessions. Lucy wants real estate. (laughs) And yeah, so I I mean, that was the big connective tissue and the thing that I really got into about the Charlie Brown Christmas special when I first saw it. Becky, did you see it growing up? Mm Mm-hmm. How did you feel about both Charlie Brown as a character, like the Peanuts gang as characters, and about the Christmas special? Then or now? Then... I just kind of accepted it because it was in pop culture, so I watched it. It was on television. I don't know. I've never... I was fine. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't sound like much, but, like, it's not like it was, like, something I loved. It wasn't something I hated. I watched it. Well, but it sounds like you didn't really, like, connect with it in any particular way. I I, I read the Peanuts comic strip in the paper. I just was there. When you're, I I don't know, when I was little, it was just, if it was presented to me, I consumed it. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have time to get into that right now. <laughs> well, that's that's heartwarming and a great anecdote, Becky. Chris? <laughs> I did like this as a child, although I think I connected more to Rudolph. Like, that speaks more nostalgically to me. This is something I appreciate more as an adult. And even though I hadn't actually watched this episode in a while, like, the uh, Christmas tree that he has, the small, pathetic tree... It's like my favorite Christmas iconography of anything. It's I think it's like the perfect metaphor for what the spirit of the season really should be about. Picking up on that, the storyline about the really decrepit tree and about Charlie Brown kind of getting that because he wanted a real tree and that was the only real tree left on the lot actually kind of changed the way that Christmas trees uh, were manufactured and presented 
because uh, at the time during the 60s, most folks got aluminum trees and that was the kind of like fake Christmas tree that you could get at that time. Yeah. And they show those in the, in the short. And they show those in the short and they show Charlie Brown like really actively avoiding them. And within a couple of years, aluminum trees stopped even being manufactured. Apparently like the sales took a nosedive when Charlie Brown seemingly rejected mm. them. I always really liked that element of the story too because Charlie Brown gets that real tree and he puts that one single ornament on it and it droops down so low that even he kind of totally second guesses his own plan and second guesses himself and I thought it was kind of a rare moment of a child character being really conflicted not just sad and like that's the end of it like there were kind of layers to the things that he was feeling because he's trying to seek after that nostalgia himself and trying to see any joy that he can actually derive from it. And even he's kind of thwarted by it until his friends kind of rally around him and, and pick him back up. Yeah, one thing that I think resonates through um, these three shorts and a lot of Christmas material in general is kind of the conflict between consumerism and the sort of like warm-hearted feelings you're supposed to have. And I think the tree really represents the idea that you don't need a huge, elaborate, expensive tree. Like, as long as you have a tree with one ornament, like, you're still... You can celebrate Christmas just as well as you can with thousands of dollars and crazy gifts, like, I usually have every year. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm the Scrooge here, because I... (laughs) Or the Grinch, you could even say. Or the Grinch. I did not connect with this at all as an adult. I thought it was really boring (laughs) and long for 25 minutes, and... Uh, Becky only can watch commercials from now. I no, I just I thought the the children's voice acting was terrible. Like just like, hey, I'm acting. Hi, Charlie Brown. So that, that was another thing that was unconventional about the creation of this uh, special is that they hired all child actors. Yeah, but they didn't get good ones. <laughs> I think they're really naturalistic. I find it very charming. I liked it, too. I I did it all. On the DVD, actually, there's, like, some other related Peanuts short that, like, plays right after the Christmas one. But it's clear that the voices are really different. And I had to turn it off because I was mad that it didn't have that natural feeling. Because I think that's what makes it work. And to me, like, what the Peanuts is about is kind of like adult feelings but the, like leftover feelings from childhood that you have as an adult but then that are like kind of reprojected back through children so like kind of a depression around the holidays I think is not something that most children feel it's something that an adult would feel but like seeing a childhood character reflecting it makes it more pure and simple yeah I I get all that it's not what it is about it is the way they did it is I think the acting the voice acting was bad and the jokes didn't land and it's very religious at the end very surprisingly where linus has this whole speech about jesus and the lord and then the story just ends where charlie brown like gets it and that's the end and it's never like put into like layman's terms it's not like he tells this religious story and then he's like that means we should all be nice to each other it just was like very strange it was like oh yeah religion and then that's so this was very very much on purpose um Melendez, Bill Melendez, the director, and Charles Schultz were, especially Charles Schultz, were really insistent on making the climax of the movie be this recitation of the Bible verses that tell the story of Jesus' birth at Christmas time. 
at the time in the 1960s, less than 9% of television Christmas specials contained any kind of reference to religion whatsoever. So it actually was relatively out of the norm, even at the time, to explicitly and overtly read scripture in any kind of way. Charles Schultz and Bill Melendez were worried that the network would make them cut it, so that's why they made it the absolute climax of the entire special, because it made it kind of impossible to edit that out. Yeah, I guess as somebody who has absolutely no history with the Bible or Christianity, and I'm watching this, I feel left out. Like, it, I, it's fine. Well, I, I mean, it's, that- it's, look, it's, it's not just you. I have absolutely no connection with it as an adult as well. I'm an atheist, and I don't believe in Christianity, and I don't buy into that belief system or its set of myths. And to my estimation, now as a fully grown-up, I would think that it would be a lot stronger if it were just, if that aspect of it were not part of it. Because at its heart, this is a story about a kid with very complicated feelings and it's a story about friendship and how friends can rally around and lift your spirits um, during a time of the year when a lot of people are really depressed and I think that dramatically that stands really strongly on its own but the the turn to religiosity completely took me out of the story so you're saying you didn't like that part either we're, we're, we're agreeing or we're, no we're totally agreeing. okay I, didn't, I wasn't sure I, no i didn't like i didn't like that part at all it totally knocked me out of enjoying yeah. the movie and i i think it works but only without that i i actually don't think it works with that because it's this very it's like the deus ex machina it's like the hand of god like shoving itself into the peanut story yeah because as somebody who isn't um religious or christian like the fact that the whole climax of this story ends with like a Bible verse and then Charlie Brown like gets it and it's just like, oh, I guess if you're not religious, then, then this Christmas is not for, for you. you. Yeah. Or like the morals that we learned in this aren't for you. Mm-hmm. It just seemed very out of nowhere and just very strange. And then it just ends. Um, I If you're going to include it, I guess I would have liked Linus to then explain like for everybody this is what this moral is. Like, let's be nice to each other or let's do this. You know what I mean? Like, it just was very strange. I'll disagree a bit. I mean, this isn't... I think the moment is staged really well and it really is kind of like a a show-stopping moment where this kind of simple-seeming child says something that sounds profound. Uh, And so I really enjoyed the staging of it and kind of like the emotion. I don't also connect to the Bible verse itself, but I think it does kind of fit in with the theme of rejecting sort of the more commercial aspects of Christmas and consumerism and getting back to the spirit of what it's supposed to mean. And the Bible verse is much more about connecting with humans and being, you know, just like a good person and not like, what toys am I going to get? Like, give me this, give me that. So I think that it fits well enough. And to your point, I think if it were made now, like they wouldn't have that, but Back in the 60s, I think it was just the presumption that almost everyone who was going to watch this was a white Christian and would kind of know scripture more than they do now because it, it was just a different time back then. Yeah, and that's why the presumption is false. I think yeah, that, I mean, I think it wasn't false then, but maybe it's 50 years later not true. 
the thing that I really love about this is the music. I think the music is outstanding. And my husband um, is really into Vince Guaraldi. And he, he plays this music every single year. And he doesn't like this special at all. He just loves Vince Guaraldi's music a lot. And watching it with watching this, I was just like, I only want to listen to this music. <laughs> like, I just want to, like, turn this off and, like, watch and just listen to But also the, the, the dance moves because it's the best <laughs> dancing ever. But isn't that a standard Peanuts thing? Was this the first, like... This was the first... This is the first... Besides the two-minute short that Seth was talking about, this was the first time that they were... Okay. Like, live and moving around. Oh, okay. I didn't actually think about that. Um, Yeah. So this kind of set... Like, this was actually kind of a risk for them, because people loved the cartoon so much in the um, newspaper, but it's very different to animate them. So they actually had to figure out how they would move and talk and all that. There must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. Maybe Lucy's right. Of all the Charlie Browns in the world, you're the Charlie Browniest. I would totally agree with you that the music is kind of the most um, sustaining thing that I think really still connects. And because it's not like overtly religious at all in any of the same ways that the special itself is, I think it does have a lot more, a lot wider appeal. The Christmas Time is Here song. The lyrics were written by the producer Lee Mendelson, who was a fan of Vince Guaraldi and brought him on for that short to do the composition Linus and Lucy. And then Guaraldi returned in spring 1965 to write the music for this Christmas special. And he completed two new originals for the special. Christmas Time is Here and also a song called Skating. Mendelssohn, because he had trouble finding a lyricist for Garaldi's instrumental intro, he wrote the music for Christmas Time is Here in about 15 minutes on the backside of an envelope. And it's funny because I do think it is kind of an indelible Christmas classic as far as that music goes. And it is mournful and soulful in a way that really most other Christmas songs no longer are to me. I think the song works best because the lyrics are kind of banal and happy but the music sounds so melancholy that it like creates a mood that Mm -hmm. like if it were just a happy song with those lyrics i don't think it would be anything i totally agree i totally agree um and just one other funny little fact uh the first time i owned this the first time i had an actual physical copy of this was from 1992 the special was released for a limited time on vhs through shell oil stations (laughs) for purchase so not just fast food, but also gas stations. <laughs> yep, not just not I just. I remember McDonald's. gas stations selling these things. Actually. Yeah, they and used to I was sell, re- like, I trucks. remembered it, and I was like, <laughs> "When did that actually happen?" And I found like in in my research for the special, like it happened in 1992. So I would have been in second grade. So one thing that I thought was really interesting watching this this time that I never would have picked up on before is that this was. 1965, and so a bunch of kids in the 60s were growing up watching this. 
and it's so anti-consumer. And I thought that was so strange for like something playing on like network TV in the '60s to outright say like, "Oh, that's commercial. We don't like that." And I, I mean, that's not something that I heard a lot of on like usually when you watch old 60s things that are like selling a ton of products like Mm. it was very nakedly about selling products back then and it just occurred to me that like all of these kids who grew up watching like these three things that are all about kind of anti-commercialism grew up to be like the hippies of the time and I wonder like how much this inspired them or like Mm, no this was like the hippie movement was like simultaneous with this and just after this came out it wasn't like it was the kids who were watching these specials when they were first on were not like children who were no, then... but that went on into the seventies. So I mean, I'm not saying that this special aired and then ten years later everyone decided to be a hippie, but it was part of that same movement toward like a young people rejecting commercialism. Well, but the hippie movement was also very much about overtly rejecting kind of rigid Christianity and dogma in that sense. So while I think it picked up on a similar current, I think it was definitely coming at it from a much more traditionalist angle. But it is kind of interesting just the point in time when that came about. Because I also didn't know before I started researching for this that there was so little explicit religiosity in the Christmas specials of the time. So let's talk about our third and final holiday special of the episode, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Your soul is an appalling dump heap, overflowing with the most disgraceful assortment of deplorable rubbish imaginable, mangled up in tangled up knots. You nauseate me, Mr. Grinch, with a nauseous super nos. You're a crooked, jerky jockey, and you drive a crooked horse, Mr. Grinch. You're a three-decker sauerkraut and toadstool sandwich with arsenic sauce. The Grinch first appeared in a 32-line illustrated poem by Dr. Seuss called The Hubub and the Grinch. I'm not sure who the hubub is. No, uh, apparently I guess... he didn't make it to Christmas. <laughs> there was also a Horton Here's a Who. So the Whos were also a precursor character before. Yeah, the Whos were ca- canon in the Seuss universe. The Seussiverse. <laughs> The Hubub and the Grinch was originally published in the May 1955 edition of Red Book magazine. The story was published as a book by Random House in 1957. Um, and then in 1966, it became a holiday special. Sure did. How the Grinch Stole Christmas was directed by Chuck Jones of Bugs Bunny fame, uh, co-directed by Ben Washam, who was an animator for Chuck Jones's cartoons. It's narrated by Boris Karloff, who you might remember as Frankenstein. Frankenstein? (laughs) Or Frankenstein's monster, if we're going to be accurate. Yes, let's please be accurate. (laughs) Please, this is a podcast, Becky. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. The song is sung by Thurl Ravenscroft, who is famous for voicing Tony the Tiger. (laughs) Yes. We got to pause on that incredible name. (laughs) Thurl Ravenscroft. Thurl, I'm convinced that that's an abbreviation of The Earl. I have no idea what it is. I think his full name is the Earl of Ravenscroft. I think it's my unborn child's uh, not existing yet name. I should hope so. 
How the Grinch Stole Christmas aired on CBS December 18th, 1966. The budget was 315000 which translates to a little over $2 million today. And it probably made back that times a billion. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> Roughly speaking. Um, it won a Grammy Award for Best Recording for Children as well. That seems like kind of a backhanded Grammy. You're like, that's the best <laughs> recording for children. <laughs> So, um, what did you guys think of The Grinch uh, when you were little, uh, and what did you think this time watching it? It was always kind of an outlier in, I think, children's Christmas entertainment because everything else is usually pretty upbeat, and then this is kind of like the mean one, where it's like, ooh, he's <laughs> a bad. mean one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mr. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> and so, it always, like, The Grinch is such a well-known character, even outside of Christmas time, I feel like. He's just like, people will say, oh, you're being a Grinch. A lot mm-hmm. of times it's about Christmas, but it doesn't have to be. Now it's kind of just a guy who's grumpy and. Yeah, party pooper yeah, kind of exactly. guy. Yeah, exactly. It was always there. I don't think that I ever had a really big connection to the Grinch. Uh, I know that I sang the song in like middle school choir or something. But, we all did. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even in the choir, but I sang it in the choir. Yeah. <laughs> You sing it in the locker room. Though. No, uh, not ev- only colors of the wind, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> she would wear. A but what about costume. December? You didn't switch it up. For no, some I didn't. Season. And this was not it. me singing "Colors of the Wind" in the locker room. <laughs> was not like you didn't have residency. Like yeah, I didn't have a residency. It was literally just a few I times. I picture you just sitting in the <laughs> locker room all day, like, no, while I, everyone... No, I wish I did have a residency, and it was, like, a cabaret. <laughs> like, we, we think of you as, like, a busker at your own high school, and you just, like, had a hat as, like, a tip jar, and you're like, I'll be here all week, I'll be here all week, catch you later. What do you do in fourth period? Do you want to hear Becky in the locker room? <laughs> yes. <laughs> What's the password? Just around the riverbend. Yes. <laughs> Blue corn moon. What did you think this? time watching it. This was my least favorite of the specials, <gasps> which doesn't mean I don't like it, but this one is the one to me that felt padded because the book is 12 minutes of story, I think they said, and they had to like add a lot of extra stuff. And I'm so surprised. It's, it's like, This one just felt longer, sorry. I'm so shocked. Like, I felt like this one had like the best pacing out of all of This was my favorite out of all of them, by How far. How long is this? Isn't this it's only like 25 like... minutes, something like that? Is it even that long? It's like probably was a half hour yeah. or so with commercials. Yeah. Yeah. It was like 22 okay. maybe. I thought it was, I thought it held up pretty well. I actually was like surprised. Um, I thought it was really inventive and clever. Um, I liked the dark humor and I actually completely disagree. Like I thought the pacing was really like snippy snappy. Like they just kept moving on in the next thing. And I just felt like it held together really well. So that's so weird. <laughs> what about you, Seth? My own reactions to it were kind of fascinating to me, and I had to like think about them for a while. I had kind of a felt feeling a little bit more thrown off than I was when I was a kid. Growing up, this was totally a staple. Like we would watch the Rankin Bass ones sometimes, but we would always watch Charlie Brown Christmas. We would always watch The Grinch. I loved. Dr. Seuss, I loved his writing so, so much. I had so many of his books growing up. He was one of the first 
writers who made me understand how you could play with language, how much you could play with words, and how important absurdity and nonsense and drawing out the li- outside the lines were. I always loved the special growing up, but this time around watching it, I had to kind of rewind at a couple of spots, especially when they're singing, because I'm like, are they singing a foreign language or am I having a stroke right was now? Was it Fa-a-bu, That was exactly the one. I'm like, they kind of are making up words. Totally, they're making up words. And it also sounds kind of Latin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is also intentional because, like, Catholic Mass is, or like having, having the Mass is a staple of the Christmas uh, kind of rituals for the season. Um, but it was interesting because when I first saw it, especially when I was little, 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 I was just learning any idea of language for the first time. And so pretty much all new words and concepts seemed unnatural and new and novel to my ears. So it was kind of funny conceptualizing of the way that I was reacting to it now and kind of realizing how like, no, it kind of only sounds weird because I'm so used to language. Like it's kind of the flip side of how I took it in when I was a kid when everything was new. So it was just like, look at all these colors he's painting with in in his little, uh, in his little world here. Um, but I, I watched this one actually a couple times. I only watched the other ones once a piece. The second time around, I definitely enjoyed it a lot more. And I mean, I still really enjoy it because I love the character of the Grinch. But even that is pretty unique in that he's certainly not even an anti-hero. He's really a villain until the very, very end. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. not a character you see in Christmas stories, much less in kind of nearly all ch- children's entertainment. You're not taught to empathize with the villain. Even if he does eventually have a change of heart, the thrust of the story isn't usually around like, oh, I really hope that villain has a change of heart and saves the day or something. But I do also kind of think, especially now, that this really works better in a book format, in a written format. Um, Because for me, so much of the joy of it is in the imagery, which I think gets really uh, much more simplified for the animated uh, short, uh, as opposed to how he would lay out his pages that were just really beautiful and have so much detail in it that you can kind of really get immersed into it. And also, like Chris was saying, the, the book is really relatively short, Um, So that kind of playfulness with language um, never comes off as like padding and they, you know, I I do kind of think that the special itself is is pretty padded. That's so weird. I I mean, certainly not to the extent of Rankin Bass. Like, we don't have, like, entire ancillary characters and worlds. <laughs> well, to, me, to me, that kept me interested in that because they went to new places and met new characters. And this is, like, a very simple story that you could tell in, like, five minutes, but that just was stretched out. Yeah, well, and I came away with it really thinking this time around that it could have been a really incredible music video. Like, if this were, like, four or five minutes and, like, just centered around that song, I felt like it really would have been much more effective and concise because like how the Grinch steals Christmas is just very straightforwardly he just breaks into houses and steals shit yeah he doesn't need to dress as Santa Claus like that part like it, it well, seemed like it's he a was on the, 
Right, but he doesn't need a, dis- a disguise. And if he's going to be framing Santa for this crime, I feel like that's a much longer con than this movie is prepared to go well, into. Well, it ha- he ran he runs into Cindy Lou Who, and he's like, oh, I'm Santa. And he's wearing the Santa suit. So she's gullible little kid. Because otherwise <laughs> she'd be afraid and be like, wake her parents because there's a monster stealing things like it's a it's a it's a bad disguise but it works yeah fair enough but i also don't know how much of a context these who people have for a santa who in their minds may just as well be green and thin i don't know (laughs) i think we're to assume that their concept of santa is the traditional concept of santa well i'm sorry but the unrealism of this character (laughs) choice took me out of the film i kind of enjoyed that aspect of it that he dressed as Santa because it's kind of subversive. Is like you. I'm mostly kidding. It's 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 for the most part. It's <laughs> pretty cute. Mostly. <laughs> I thought it was very subversive because the idea of Santa Claus is kind of creepy inherently. It's this guy who sneaks into your house like through the not chimney. even like through a door. Like he doesn't break in. He just kind of like crawls in through a hole. And then, like, starts doing <laughs> shit in your house, like... Eating your cookies and drinking your milk. Yeah, it's it's a little bit creepy. And, if I mean, obviously in real life, if anyone did that, you would call the police. And so I liked that this kind of played on that and said, like, mm, actually, this is kind of a weird thing to, like, promote to your children that, hey, while you're sleeping, some guy's just going to, like, come in here, do his thing, and, you know, leave some kind of trace of himself. So I kind of like that this story points out how that actually is kind of dark and weird. Yeah, I agree with that. The things that stuck out to me were like questions such as why who hash and why roast beast? He's just taking their food, their fancy holiday food. I know. It's just it was just like kind of things that were still entertaining to me. Again, just the way that he plays with the language is fun. I really like Chuck Jones animation in general, like Bugs Bunny and all that. And I just thought it really worked well with this character in this world. And I just really enjoyed watching it. I thought it, I guess I didn't get the whole padded of filler scenes or anything that you guys did because I felt like it did everything it needed to do in 25 minutes. It felt like it got in and out to me. And I actually liked the songs. Like, I think they're well-written songs. I really liked Boris Karloff's voiceover performance. He had, like, a range there. And, you know, it felt like he was making, like, a real character. I don't know. just worked on every... Like, I would happily show this to my kids one day. I still felt like it was entertaining. For me, it didn't feel slow, and I I just liked the whole look of it. So, for me, it worked. I think one of the reasons it felt slow to me was because they do the song... Like, the first verse of the song, and then they do some story, and then they do the second verse, and it just feels... It's, like, kind of very episodic in that way, Mm -hmm. which... Like, I was like, I'd rather just hear the song all over one scene and then just stay in the story, but it kind of just kept, like, going back and forth. I do think that the animation of the Grinch is really great. Like, he's a really well-designed character. Um, Very memorable. Like, the scene where he has that evil, evil giant smile. Mm -hmm. um, His little, like, curls are Mm -hmm. unfurling above. So I really liked that. And in the first, like, I guess five minutes of this short is probably when I'm the most into it. And the dog is a really fun, like, kind of comic relief character. So I liked that. I think... For me, like, it just kind of falls short with, like, the who's, and I don't, like, they're kind of weird with antenna, and I think that works in a book, because you can kind of project onto them, but here they just, 
Like, I was kind of on Team Grinch when they were, like, <laughs> making all that noise and, like, beating drums and ringing bells. I was like, that would be annoying. I think you're kind of supposed to be on his side a little because I think the Who's are supposed to be a little annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the things he's talking about are things like commercialism and making noise and being annoying. But I think at the end, you have the turn with – I think it's deliberate that you have the turn with the Grinch where all of their stuff is gone, but they're still very happy and they're grateful and – um they're okay with life because they have a positive outlook and, you know, all their stuff's gone, but they're okay. And I think that you're supposed to identify with the Grinch in that moment. Yeah, I mean, I I think I agree with you. For me, that message, it's almost exactly the same message as the Charlie Brown Christmas, where it's the small little pathetic tree that they make do with and realize that that's what matters is like the spirit of it and not the fact that you have all the like decorations, which is exactly what the Grinch takes from them. But for me, like the Peanuts characters were just so much more, they had more depth to them and I cared more about them and just found them much more interesting to watch where like I bought that they had that turn. Whereas this is like, I feel like this works really well in a book because it's rhyming and it's just like, oh, and then he suddenly changed his mind. But in a short, it's kind of like, I I need a little bit more. I felt like the turn wasn't fully pulled off really to me for the Grinch's um, turn yeah his heart growing three sizes that day I, I don't know I got it I it worked for me I don't know I don't know for me it's it again like exactly as Chris was just saying it just happens so quickly um and is not really lingered on and unlike the peanut unlike the Charlie Brown Christmas special you don't get too much of a sense of the Grinch's inner life. Like, I feel like what I kind of don't understand is what he thought the Who's thought that the season was about. You know, like, what it, what he thought it was he was rebelling against by being so against what the Who's wanted. I thought it was clear that he thought they were too commercial and, like, just... Noisy. Uh, noisy and I think it was annoying. just noisy. I didn't annoying, necessarily yeah. get the But, I mean, Christmas is it. very... It's very gaudy and very noisy and, like... Yeah. Like, those carols that you hear everywhere that can really be annoying sometimes. And just, like, it's overkill, honestly. Like, And that's something I wanted to bring up just as a connective tissue between all of these is that all of these stories are about misfits in a way. Rudolph and Hermie, and then they go to the Island of Misfit Toys. Charlie Brown is said to be too depressed and, like, like kind of a downer for his friends. Sad sack. And then the Grinch is very much like ostracized from the society like it's a little too much to get into for this story but it's like where did he come from like why is he so different from everyone else i would like to know do you really want to know because you can watch the 2000 film oh with ron howard I, then I, no i don't want to know <laughs> and they will they uh pad that out a um, lot uh, yeah more. i remember i saw that once in theaters and i did not like it but i don't remember a single thing about it and that's how i want it <laughs> i was watching some clips today just for, I don't know, context. And I was just like, oh, God. I remember watching it in theater because it it was, it, I think it, it made almost $400 million. It was a huge hit. Yeah. Um, I it was, was the biggest hit of that year. And I was interested in, like, what the makeup would look like and how do they create this cartoon, which is, like, why I watched the Flintstones movie. You know, like, why you go see these movies. It's like, how are they going to do it in real life? Um, and I remember Terribly. it being, like, really cloying, like... It was hard to get through, like, the two clips I watched today where I was like, it's a really impressive, like, performance by Jim Carrey and, like, a makeup job. But, like, oh, God, I don't want to be in this world for an hour and a half. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that this short is probably the best actual adaptation of Dr. Seuss. I can't think of anything else that actually works. 
Uh, I mean, I never saw the Lorax, <laughs> so I don't know. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that that partially proves my point. Um, there's there's a there's a short for Horton Hears a Who that I remember being good. Okay. But there's a six-hour Green Eggs and Ham BBC <laughs> miniseries, <laughs> a six-part, <laughs> starring Dame Judi Dench as the Green Eggs. I thought they changed it to Green Bangers and Mash. <laughs> These are kind of like the authoritative Christmas holiday things that we watch every year, watched as kids, and that people I think are still watching. And it's interesting that they're all about misfits and they're all about kind of people who don't fit in and this feeling of being like out of sorts with Christmas and that people have to like learn these lessons. I think it is kind of like an interesting juxtaposition that all of these Christmas stories have to do with, you know, having to strip away commercialism and kind of get down to basics about what like the spirit's really about and kind of rejecting a lot of just overkill and and this stuff and yet and material obsession yeah exactly and yet christmas also persists to still be about that even yeah. though we all kind of know this we've like we grew up on these stories that are already telling us that cr- christmas is too commercial and yet it remains too commercial while we all feel like these characters feel as like kind of like Oh, like it's too much. We're it's getting like, two different. It's like a sugar rush. We're getting two different directions from the media, where the media is saying you should care about your fellow man and reject commercialism, and the other view is saying more, buy more, shop, shop, shop. Well, exactly. and I and I think what you're getting at is that those aren't. You would think those are contradictory messages, but it's like Hallmark cards. It's an inducement to, and an encouragement to like, you know, get beyond commercialism by buying shit and by consuming things and watching things. And I think that's a kind of unbroken line basically since the middle of the 20th century in America is using consumerism to appeal to our common humanity, but really specifically in order to sell us stuff. And I think it's done pretty much exactly the same way that it always has. Because that was like the big question for me when I was going through and watching all of these shorts. Is that's like, what is it particularly about these specific things? I didn't have any idea of when each of these three were made. I had no idea that it was one year after the next mm-hmm. over the course of just three years. And it's just so strange to me that these have stuck around for so long and are still kind of passed along and still aired and still really cherished as these kind of timeless, quote unquote, timeless Christmas stories. But I think part of it is because the context in which they're taking place is pretty similar to how it was when they first came out. And I mean, like, we like to tell ourselves that a lot of things have changed, but, you know, I mean, this society's resegregating. We're heading back into a dystopian nightmare. Um, <laughs> and and we're inundated constantly with messages telling us to buy things and to... Uh, have these human experiences with each other mediated through movies or TV shows or animated cartoons or any of that. And yeah, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see like going into the future, if things like these specials will still be passed down in the same way. I think there hasn't, and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think there's been a modern day Christmas special that's, beloved by all but i think maybe tv just doesn't work in that way anymore because there's certain movies that are like the christmas movies Mm -hmm. but not really these shorts 
they just don't make them really anymore. Yeah, it's a very different model, but it's interesting that even after they stopped making them, because they haven't made shorts like this in a really long time, but yeah. they still endured as like the things that people wanted to see instead of new things. Like it wasn't like yeah. there were new shorts in the 80s and 90s. Like I know that they tried, you know, there are tons of Christmas cartoons out there, but for some reason, none of them stuck around as these that were made back to back in this yeah. really narrow window, which is really strange. And I think this just reminds me of like the snake eating its own tail where it's like, we need the consumerism in order to like feel so bad that we need the story about rejecting the consumerism. And then exactly. that story is sold to us mm-hmm. as a consumer product, like brought to you by Coke or whatever. And it's just like this kind of endless cycle of like rejecting consumerism and then turning back to it. And totally. And, and, and nostalgia, I would say is also absolutely. An, uh, an inseparable part of that equation. Nostalgia is kind of that warm, fuzzy feeling mud in which any distinctions or any criticisms of it, as you were talking about earlier, Becky, with the Peanuts cartoon literally being made as like a Coca-Cola company product. I think that's kind of an inseparable part of that whole thing, like the nostalgia machine so much of why the versions of these quote-unquote traditions we have are often so similar and why they can replicate over such a long period of time. Maybe that's why, like, these shorts are the kind of one of the most enduring, like, Christmas things is because TV is naturally this commercial medium and is, like, it's very direct that it's selling you things. And so it kind of feels natural for Christmas to just, like, kind of slide right in there in the same message and feel kind of a little bit icky because you're being sold something too, but then you're like, oh, I kind of like it anyway, and... Well, and again, it goes back to what we were talking about, like, with your own Christmas practices, Chris, which is, like, that return to home, that idea of ending the feeling of dislocation. The society that was built up many decades before any of us were born, but the society that we've all inherited, is a very alienating, isolating, separating kind of place to live. And so messages and stories and characters that are kind of interested in in solving that, uh, even when it's within that specific span of time, like, those narratives are always really comforting to us because they offer us the promise that there is a return home. They offer us the promise that the bad people who steal our presence may have a change of heart and bring everything back to us and restore the community to what it was. Yeah, and TV, everything is always okay by the end of the episode, the end of the hour. And yeah, TV like is about coming back to the same thing week after week after week. Like It's very familiar it's comfort food and so instead this is like the long con of episodic tv because instead (laughs) of a week to week episode it's just the same episode but like once a year and we know that it'll be there and it'll be the same every year and i think that that's why even some of the christmas movies that i think have been popular were popularized by tv like it's a wonderful life was plays on tv every year and i think there is something about tv where we expect that nostalgia and comfort and that that's why tv is such a primary medium for christmas and that's all the ho ho holiday festivity we have time for on this episode of when we were young on the next episode of when we were young we're going back to 1988 with eddie murphy's hit comedy coming to america
The When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed our audiophonic escapades through the snowy landscapes, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash show. We would love you very much to subscribe to us on iTunes and also leave us a review of five stars or more. This offer is open to MILFs and non-MILFs alike. DILFs too. DILFs, GDILFs, GMILFs, we'll take them all. <laughs> Finally, if you'd like to support a show that is produced and brought to you entirely free of cost, you can contribute to us on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash when we were young. I have been Seth Pearson. I'm Becky. And I'm Chris, and my heart grew three sizes today. Aww.